What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Open Mic. We are here today with John Elmore. John, how's it going? Doing great. Glad to be with my Springfield family here. Yeah, we're glad, we're glad to have you. And so John is the pastor of Regeneration at Watermark Community Church in Dallas. Uh, and man, it's probably warmer there than it is here right now. But we're trending in the right direction weather-wise. So Awesome. Yeah, we were three degrees about a week ago, and now it's 77. So we've, we've thought out. You're doing it. So John, you're, you're a Springfield guy. Uh, and uh, we, we, we've already, as we've connected, we share a little bit of a bond uh, when it comes to our food choice in Springfield. Why don't you, you share a little bit about your favorite restaurant? Yeah, so this was going to be a make or break conversation. Whenever Logan and I first got onto the call, I was like, all right, we're either going forward or I'm about to hang up. <laughs> when, uh, when I asked him what his favorite restaurant was in Springfield, and it's Mexican Villa. Uh, that, that's my, that's, yeah. that's my go-to. If I'm there with you guys at High Street, we're going to Mexican Villa. We're going to get the Sancho enchilada style. We're going to get some sweet sauce and knock it out. You, you hold the beans, huh? You go Sancho. Yeah, I think the beans are just, well, I don't want to insult anybody. I think it's just filler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Sancho. I, I'm in my 40s, you know. You got you to gotta watch that stuff. <laughs> but um, Hong, Kong Inn, Hong Kong Inn would be another great one to Man. swing by. You're, you're talking about this food. I, yeah, I grew up on this stuff, so it's good, man. That that connection's great. And uh, John, uh, the reason we wanted to have you on is you, you've written a book. I got it right here. It's called Freedom Starts Today, and uh, we're actually using this as a resource uh, for our community uh, in helping to break the chains of addiction. And uh, as I've been reading through it, and as our team's been reading through it, we reached out and said, "Hey, do you want to come on open mic?" and you, you said yes, and so we're excited to have you. But I, I, in your story, I know some of your story uh, from the book, but could you give our, our listeners just a little bit of insight into your story and why you wanted to write the book? Yeah, sure. So, man, I, I grew up in Springfield, as you know, and right around Sequiota Park, so Phelps Grove area. I could point to the back step patio where I was sitting at age four or five when I first took a drink of a Coors. I mean, I can remember the taste, kind of that earthy taste as a kid. Didn't like it, but liked it. And then, um, you know, junior high at Cherokee, junior high, grown up closet drinker, like literally would come home from junior high at three o'clock, 3.30, before my, kid, my parents got home from work and would go to the back of the cabinet, pull out their nasty old spiced rum, cream de menthe, whatever they had in there from probably a decade prior. And I made mixed drinks by myself. And then, as you know, in Springfield, this I don't know why in Missouri, uh, the liquor laws, you can buy liquor 24 seven and in gas stations. And so what I always do as a high school student, my parents would go to bed. I'd jump in my old Bronco and I'd cruise. I'd go to like other parts of town, walk into these gas stations at like two or 3 a.m. when I knew the clerk wouldn't care less if he was, he wasn't going to card me. And I'd buy liquor and I'd stick it in my closet as a high school student. I was going to youth group and all this other stuff. Wow. And just like, drink. And I've always, I've always had that draw towards anything that would sedate me or numb me out. And so I'm talking, I mean, even to this day, like married 10 years, three kids, I've got to tell I tell my wife when I take NyQuil, like if I have a cold, because I, I, I crave it. Uh, wow. Something broken in me. It's, it's sin. Right. And so that's been a struggle of mine. And then I went to college and down to Baylor university and I would say I became a functional alcoholic. I didn't know it. I, I was just drinking like everybody else. Um, so I didn't think there was an issue. I got a good job right out of school. Um, money, status, job, career, women. 
and was like, I wasn't, you know, sleeping in a ditch and falling apart at the seams. And so I could, I could argue my way out of, man, look, I'm, I'm succeeding in doing well, but I was, I, I graduated half drunk, like walked the stage, literally half drunk from the night before. And then that just progressed. So with women crossing all sorts of boundaries, uh, weed came into the picture, pills, and just was coming undone. I tell people all the time, like I didn't struggle with porn. I never struggled with porn because I loved porn. I, that's why I didn't struggle with it. I thought, I thought, I thought it was amazing. I mean, it's just yeah. out there, images, videos, all that brought it into a relationship. And so what happened is I, I heard in Springfield from a youth pastor that sin leads to death. And I was like, no, it doesn't. That's a scare tactic. You're just trying to get me to not do what you think I shouldn't do. Sin doesn't lead to death. Nobody drops dead because they get drunk or sleep with a girlfriend or get high. That's ridiculous. Sin doesn't lead to death. It leads to a lot of fun, actually. Hmm. And the other thing that I heard, the second thing that I thought was a lie, is that there's freedom in Christ. And I'm like, there's anything but freedom in Christ. He keeps me from doing everything I want to do. But at the age of 30, with a shotgun to my head, a literally loaded 12-gauge shotgun, because I found out a friend of mine was sleeping with the girl that I was with, and I was like, I'm going to kill him and then kill myself. I had three doctors tell me that I was dying. I was, if I kept drinking the way I was, I was going to die. I was living on a couch, and uh, there at 30 years old with a gun to my head, and doctors telling me I was dying from alcohol. I was like, oh, sin does lead to death. And... Um, and I came to find later, and we can talk about this more, but that Jesus, there is freedom in Christ, but I didn't know that yet. So that's a little bit about the backstory. Yeah. And, and man, I, I think just people, number one, that like your transparency and sharing that, that I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of people who are in similar situations uh, and who are struggling with things. And uh, it sounds like, and, and from reading the book, that on the outside, it probably looked like you were okay. But like on the inside, you were kind of breaking down. Like, could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, I was a senior account executive in an ad agency down in Austin, Texas. Had a BMW and a Land Rover. Had a townhouse in the Arboretum. Had lake property, literally like on the water in Devil's Cove, ironically, on Lake Travis. Um Clients were Dell, 3M, DuPont. I mean, I was doing well by the world standards, but the world standards aren't the standards. It's God's standards. And for those, I was so opposed to the holiness of God, and I was filled with sin. And you just can't, you just can't cheat the supernatural structure in life. Like when he says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, like you can't cheat that system. And so when you fill your life with sin, it doesn't matter how good you look on the outside uh, there at MSU or even on staff at High Street or whatever it may be. Like the, you just can't cheat it. You can't. It says in Numbers 32, 23, God says, your sin will find you out. And he just loves us too much to let us go. When I see my kids now hurting themselves or hurting someone else, I, I love them too much to just be like, well, they'll figure it out sometime. I intervene because I care about them and I want them to live a full abundant life. And that's what Jesus came to do for us. And so, man, I would just tell everybody out there, like for your secret sin, and I would say um, the majority of us have them until we start to regularly confess those and turn from them. It, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Your sin, God is so ordained that if you want to be forgiven, you confess to him, you know, that's vertical. If you want to be free, God has ordained that you confess 
to each other, to one another. Mm. And so you got to bring that stuff into the light and you're not going to be shamed. You're not going to be condemned by this incredible church that you're a part of right now. You're going to be loved. You're going to be prayed for yeah. and you're going to be walked out into freedom instead of the bondage that you're in. So yeah, forget outward appearances. God says he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And you, you said something that, that sticks out to me, like as a, a father to, to two young children with my daughter kind of entering that stage of where I'm actually having to parent her. It's like when, when I see her hurting herself, I'm going to intervene. And I think that's very representative. You just mentioned that of like God's going to intervene for you. So at, at that low point in your life with the shotgun um, and, and with these plans to harm yourself, to harm other people, your body's wasting away. How did God intervene for you and how did you begin a relationship with Jesus? Yeah, such a good question, Logan. So um, I would say two significant things happened. One is something that everyone listening can do for someone else. My older, well, a fraternity brother, I was I was sitting in the, on a Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. at Stephen F. Austin Intercontinental Hotel drinking with two homeless guys. I, I didn't want to be alone. So I was just, I was like, hey, come sit with me. I'll buy you whatever you want. Fraternity brother called, homeless guy picks up. And he calls my brother. He's like, hey, it's much worse than any of us thought. And so my brother got a one-way flight, put me in my own car, drove me back to Dallas, and there was a family intervention. And so I share that to say that everyone listening can be that person for someone else. When you know about their their porn addiction, their pill addiction, their eating disorder, maybe your girl's with another roommate, and it's like, hey, that's the sixth time you've changed clothes. But, you know, the body image, the eating disorder, you're going into the bathroom every time after you eat or you're withholding food or whatever it may be, that you can be that intervention. And that's not like some ripoff from a secular TV show intervention. It's that's Jesus's model. He says in Matthew 18, 15, if you see your brother or sister in sin, show them like love them enough to speak to that. So that's one thing that happened. The second thing that happened is I walked into an AA meeting, which AA is, uh, dude, it's crazy. It's animistic, pantheistic. They're praying the doorknobs, the Coke machine, even the group themselves. But God can use anything. I mean, he uses a talking donkey for crying out loud. So he can certainly <laughs> AA. And uh, at AA, at step three, it says, surrender your life and will over to your higher power, whomever you deem him to be. Well, I knew from my childhood, this phrase, Jesus saves And there at 30 realized, okay, I am a slave to sin. This is why people have been telling me there's freedom in Christ. I didn't know I was a slave. Now that I know I'm a slave to alcohol and sexual sin and everything else, I need to be free. And Jesus offers freedom. So after squandering my entire life, after mocking God, mocking Christians, I get on my knees beside this couch that I'm living on. And I literally say that. I was like, God, I've squandered everything you've given me. But whatever I've left, it's yours. You You get my mind, my body my money, my relationships, all my days. And I thought I had wrecked my life so far gone that I was beyond repair. But I was like, whatever I've left, it's yours. And Logan, he, he didn't make my life better. He made my life new, like gave me a new life. And my past became my past yeah. and like set me on this new trajectory And so I I just say to anyone listening, like whatever you have done, you're never too far gone. Jesus's promises for you are true and he will rewrite your story. He'll use your greatest pain and mistakes and he'll flip the script and like set your life and the world on fire through it. Like it's just what he lives to do. It's, it's the Bible's replete with story after story. It's the ones who keep their secrets and their sin inside that he's like, 
I mean, they're like the Pharisees, like, you know, you have sin. Mm. But I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. And by the way, everybody's sick, except you righteous, you self-righteous Pharisees don't think you're sick. And I can't help you. Only the sick go to the doctor. I, and, and until you acknowledge you're sick, I can't help you. Wow. Uh, man, uh, I, that that's just so good for people to hear. I think that, that knowing that it's probably the scariest thing to like bring that stuff to the light. And it's one of the scariest things to um, admit that. But I think that's something, especially for me, when I was in college, I was like, no one else is struggling with things I'm struggling with. Like, I'm not normal, you know what I mean? But when you start to realize that we're all broken and in need of a savior, uh, it is it is life transforming. And I, I think it's crazy that you probably never would have thought you'd be writing a book on the freedom from addiction when you were in the midst of your addiction, but God flipped that upside down for you. Um, that's pretty incredible. And I, I got to ask, cause we're in the business of, we believe in the church. Uh, we believe in churches all across the world. And we think that people that one of your, one of the things that's going to make your life better is being a part of a church community. And I got to ask you when you were coming out of that season, were you scared to like come back to church? What was that like? Uh, I'm sure there's people out there that are, you know, been through struggles and like, man, I don't know if church is for me. You know what? Um, you're asking a really important question that everybody's going to be wrestling with. And, and here's your choice. You either live in fear or you live in freedom. And that's, that's your choice. And, and I, have, I have seen people that are sidelined because they have separated themselves from the church and they got this me and Jesus philosophy. And that is so anti-biblical, anti-gospel. Like the scriptures are clear that you can't separate yourself from the body of Christ. When Paul was persecuting Christians in Acts chapter nine, Jesus knocks him off his horse and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which Saul could have said, I'm not persecuting you. I've never met you before. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, anything you do to them, you do to me. And it was this picture that, that you see throughout Paul's theology as he writes 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, like the body of Christ is the people of which he is the head. And we are to be under the authority of the local church. And so you see it in Hebrews 13, 17, where it says, submit to your elders. You see it in 1 Peter 5, where he says to the elders, shepherd the flock that is among you. And so it's so crucial that you become a part of a local church. And that you put yourself under the authority of elders. And if you're like, dude, I'm only in Springfield for four years. Like, I'm not going to do that. Then what you're saying is, is I'm not going to be a part of the body of Christ. I will be detached from the body. I will atrophy. I won't be shepherded. I'm going to be disconnected from a provision of grace that God has given me. I'm going to be sidelined. I'm going to be rogue. Like it's so unhealthy. Or you can say, no, this, this is where I am. I'm going all in. I'm going to be shepherded. I'm going to use and develop the gifts that God has given me through the local church. And you will see your life come alive because you're doing what God has made you to do. There, there is no life apart from being connected to the body it's just like you're you're an amputated limb that's going to decay and cease to be yeah so it's essential and i'd say um so it's either fear or freedom and i just pushed through that i was like dude i don't need more aa yeah i need more god and i know where god's found and so i started going to these churches and i was like i don't care anymore like i've I've lived my whole previous existence as a chameleon trying to put forth my best face and write a resume and want people to like me because of who I am. I'm like, dude, screw that. That's bondage. I, I was like so 
hurt by my sin. And now Jesus has set me free. And I'm going to tell everybody for the rest of my life. And so I would just walk into church and be like, yeah, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm like three months sober. Like I really need help. Mm. And I was met with grace every single time. And there were times, you know, where I would see people kind of like their countenance change. Dude, they're just working through their own stuff. That's a reflection of them, not of me, not of Christ. And so, you know, we're all on a journey. And, and I think like what you've said about, uh, you, you know, as far as being active in the church, like that's such a crucial part of it. Uh, the thing is, is uh, it, it doesn't get easier to be involved in church as you get married, as you have a family, as you get older, as you have career and things. And uh, it, it doesn't get easier and so the time to commit to it is like right now wherever you're at like this is the best season for you to commit to the church and uh one of the things that that really sold me on the book too was that it's very clear this is not a self-help book it's very clear that that um you know god's word and and i think anyone who's listening to this is like oh you know john knows scripture like this is this is awesome and uh that's what like attracted me to the book and why i felt confident and and why our team felt confident is like, man, we, we, we want to use this as a resource is because you're constantly pointing people back to God's word. And uh, I, I guess, can you just talk me through how that, how God's word has transformed you, how your spiritual disciplines have transformed you as you found freedom in your life? Because it's not just like, that was great that that was a, a decision that you made to like stop living in fear, to go to, to get into church, commit your life to Christ. But uh, I'm sure it's looked like a process for you. So how have your spiritual disciplines in, impacted that walk? Yeah, thanks, Logan. I think, um, so you said it's not a self-help book and I would just like renounce any, th- th- there's no such thing as self-help. Like what yeah. a, a terrible, so the scripture says it is in him, Acts 17, that we live and move and have our being. That He, he is the one who sustains us. Colossians, he holds all things together. It says in John 15, 5 that we're all familiar with, abide in him, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Like that that, that uh, Christianese crap theology that's crept into the church that says God helps those who help themselves. Dude, you can't help yourselves. Like we, we are all together incapable. God is the one who helps us. It says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. Like he is the only way. He's, this is, you know, the Galatians that Paul rebukes with the harshest language in the New Testament, he tells them to castrate themselves. He's like, the ca- stop reproducing this heretical theology. I mean, it's strong language. Yeah. And it was these Judaizers who said, we'll trust Jesus for our salvation, meaning our, our eternal salvation, our justification, that we're right with God and we'll go to heaven when we die. But we're not going to trust him for our sanctification. Mm. We're just going to follow the rules from the Old Testament because we know that that's what God wants, right? So we'll just be rule followers. And Paul rebukes him and said, hey, this began as a work of the Spirit, and it will continue as a work of the Spirit. You can't do this on your own. Yeah. And that is it. So you're asking, like, this is a progression. It's progressive sanctification. It's not sinlessness. It's sinning less. It's not perfection. It's progression. And it's all by the Spirit of God. And so there's different sanctifying agents in the life of a believer. But Jesus says one of them is the Word. Jesus says in John 17, 17, sanctify them by truth. Your Word is truth. And so as you read the Scriptures, memorize the Scriptures. And and a lot of the Scriptures that I've like quoted today, I'll tell you, I zero set my mind to memorize those. 
But in reading and rereading and underlining and circling and going back to, and frankly, going back to your last question about serving the local church, being in pastoral situations, being like, I know there's a verse that says something about that. And as you use what's been given to you, this is Mark 4, he says, if you use what's been measured to you, you will receive more. Uh, objects in motion tend to stay in motion, like Newton's laws, like they're a reality here in the spiritual life. Um, it just gets ingrained in your soul. The spirit writes those. I'm not diminishing memorizing scripture. Like we're, we're told to do that. It does transform us, but you just like saturate in them and the Lord will use it and will shape you more into the image of Christ. The second I would say is clearly the spirit and the spirit is the sanctifier. We're told in first Peter. So uh, the father adopts, the son washes, the spirit sanctifies. It's one of his main jobs. And it's not just to bear fruit though it is, but it's also to kill sin. He has this dual role in our life that I'm going to, I'm going to make Christ be apparent through you and anything that's not of Christ, I'm going to kill if you allow me if you bring me into the fight. That's the spirit's role. And then also, you you know, the people of God. And so this is a sanctifying agent in the life of believers. Man, I tell you what, we're like, everybody's heard this. We're the most connected generation, and yet we're the least connected uh, relationally all the time on Instagram and Facebook and whatever else. And yet we're like, you know, just devoured by loneliness and isolation. And it says in Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily. So there's a command. It's not just on Sunday or your young adult ministry, but every single day, encourage one another daily. And it says, if you don't, it says, so that you will not be hardened in your heart by the deceitfulness of sin. Meaning sin is going to deceive you every single day, which is a huge reason for this book. Well, the book, the Bible, and then the book that I've written. Yeah. Because every day we are prone to be deceived. And one of the antidotes to that deception and heart hardening is the people of God. And he says, look, if you just do that on Sunday, like Sunday is good. It's just not sufficient. Yeah. And for six days of the week, you're going to get hardened. You're going to end up sleeping with your girlfriend. You're going to end up looking at porn and masturbating. You're going to end up going back and getting drunk, even though you hate it and you don't want to, because you're being deceived. And, and I can remind Logan and he can remind me like, bro, that's not you anymore. Come with me to Mexican Villa, get a Coke, <laughs> instead, of, get a Coke instead of the Coors Light. Like that's not you anymore. And there's a better way that always led to death. That girl's not good for you. That guy's not good for you. Take the, take the door off your bathroom, like, like anything you need to do and let's help each other. Yeah. We got to, we got to remind each other that we're, we're dead to our sins because of what Jesus did, you know, and, yeah. and, and that, that only comes through community. And, and I, I think you would agree with this is, and in front of, from what I know from, from the book and, and obviously you affirming God's word is freedom and isolation is not realistic. No. It can't happen. You, you have to have community. God didn't wire us that way. And so uh, I think to just kind of wrap up, I mean, there's been so much good stuff, but I know there's someone out here listening to this. It's like, that's, that's great that he found freedom, but I've tried everything. Yeah. I've tried everything. I've, I've dabbled in the church thing. I, I've tried to read my Bible and I'm just like hitting my head against the wall, not finding freedom. What would you say to that person who feels at their wits end of, I don't know what, I don't know what else to do. Yeah, totally. Because I know you, that person, uh, trying to like, not you, Logan, but that person, yeah. you have, you've pled with God through tears, right? Like, take this away. And every time you fall back to that sin, you're grieved by it. And you know, God's grieved by it. And you're like, if he's all powerful and all good and all knowing, and I have a willing heart, like what gives, why has he not, why do I still go back to this? Why have I, I've had these desires since I was a kid. 
and yet it still remains. So we just eke out this spiritual existence, this side of eternity, like, well, I guess I won't go to hell when I die, but I just have to live in this hell of temptation yeah. and sin, this side of eternity. And why won't God help me? And he will, but he will one day at a time. And so I believe this with all my heart. Jesus said, give us today our daily bread. He doesn't give us lifetime bread. He doesn't give us annual bread because he knows he would see us one time a year, one time our whole life. But instead he's like, here's enough for today. I'll see you tomorrow. And the other thing that I think we haven't done is, um, is that live in that reality. So I think oftentimes we're in uh, defensive mode. We just like hunker down. I don't want to sin. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in the bunker of reality. And when you have a bunker mentality, that's when Nazi Germany just swept across Europe until Winston Churchill got out of the bunker and said, no, we're going on the offensive. And when he went on the offensive, then the evil got pushed back. And so that's what God tells us to do is like, dude, stop playing defense. Go yeah. on the offense. And this is Galatians 5.16. It says, walk by the spirit. That's our command. And then here's God's promise. You walk by the spirit. Here's his promise. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so the book, this it's built on this whole premise is to make a proactive decision. I ask people like, could you quit porn for the rest of your life? You know, you've been addicted for a decade and a half. Could you quit for the rest of your life? And they're like, dude, I'd like to say yes, but no. I'm like, yeah, I know. But could you quit for the next 24 hours by God's strength? Could you just not look at porn and touch yourself for the next 24 hours? And I've never had a single person tell me no. They're like, yeah, I can go 24 hours. And I'm like, great. Then go get on your knees, ask God to keep you from porn for the next 24 hours. And then I want you to call me this time tomorrow and yeah. let me know how you did. And what that's done is those two things that I said that God did to set me free. You've brought God into the fight. You're going to go ask God, Hey, I'm not doing this by my strength. This is not self-help. This is God help. Yeah. You promised to set the captives free. You promised that I'm no longer a slave to sin. And so that's either true or you're a liar and it's true. And so God for the next 24 hours, and then you make that proactive commitment to somebody else. And so when I get tempted, I'm going to be like, oh, man, I got to call Logan tomorrow at 11 a.m. and let him know how I did. And my resolve is strengthened and he can pray for me. It says in James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So Logan's praying for me. I brought God into the fight. I've made a decision for one day. Don't focus on forever. Focus on today. Just daily bread. Because you, can, you, you can't climb Everest in a day. But, you, but I, if I said, hey, can you walk 100 yards? Can you walk 10 feet? Sure, everybody could do that. Great, then just walk 10 feet. Tomorrow, we're going to walk another 10 feet. Yeah. And over the course of time, you're going to get a lifetime of freedom one day at a time, which is why it's titled Freedom Starts Today. Yeah, man, th th that's good. It, it, what we kind of challenge people with is like, you first got to admit there's a problem, you know, yes. then you got to confess it to other people. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. And then you need to place yourself, which is why the church matters, in a position to have accountability. Um, and, and that's how you're going to find freedom a day at a time, you know. So, uh, John, I just yep. want to say thank you so much for coming on. And I want to tell everybody who's listening, if you're watching this on YouTube, go get this book. Uh, it's going to push you further into God's word and it's going to grow you. And so, John, thanks for being on and thanks for being a fan of Mexican Villa and all things Springfield. So Dude, my family in Springfield, Missouri, Logan, everybody at High Street, thank you so much. I love you all. I can't wait to meet you in person and share one of those Sancho's enchilada style. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for joining us on Open Mic today and we'll catch you on the next episode.